please take your seat again. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Isn't that a thrilling passage? And I hope, I hope for you that Christmas this year, along with everything else that it brings, I hope that it brings joy and peace and spiritual revival to your heart. Sometimes it's hard to, to find those things in the busyness and the, um, the commerciality of Christmas, but I hope you find it. I am hoping the same for myself, to welcome Christ deeply again. A beautiful passage. Because, because the New Testament is written in Greek, I find myself forgetting at times that Jesus spoke Hebrew. And so Jesus would have said shalom and been given the greeting shalom daily throughout his life, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Shalom now in, uh, in Hebrew means the same as it did then. May you be full of well-being. May health and prosperity be upon you. And so it's a greeting that's still used in Israel today and wherever Hebrew is spoken. And it, Jesus would have used it and heard it as a greeting constantly. He would have also read it in the scripture, but it was a word that was in daily um, commerce. It was constantly swapped. Now imagine just for a second that you are Jesus. Are you comfortable doing that? You shouldn't be, really. And it's not, it's not a practice we encourage. But just for a second, imagine that you're Jesus. And imagine that you hear the word shalom offered to you as a greeting. But the person saying it is just saying shalom. They're just saying, you know, shalom. But you're Jesus. What do you hear? You can hear everything that shalom is. In that word, in that single word, is glory, is everything that creation was intended to be. It's the peace of God. It's the wholeness, the fullness, the, the, the culmination of every hope and design and plan of God. And that's what Jesus hears. The person saying it just said shalom. The other way around, imagine again that you're Jesus. We'll stop doing this in a minute. And you say shalom to someone, and they might just hear shalom. But you, as Jesus, you have said, God bless you. God fill you with his peace. Imagine that. Can you imagine what Jesus knows about that word? Compare that now with greetings, ancient and modern. So it's five o'clock, and I'm hopping off the bus at my house, and the driver says to me, yet again, doesn't matter which driver, it's almost always the same thing, you have a fantastic night. And I think to myself, it's 5 p.m. on a Wednesday. It, it's hump day. Like, I'm going home, I'm going to have a cup of tea, might do the washing up. What, what really are the chances of tonight being fantastic? <laughs> really? And so, unfortunately, he's in a hurry and he has to go and to his next passenger. But I want to ask you, I want to say, mate, just think about that. Like, you're a bus driver and I'm an old guy in a wheelchair and you're telling me to have a fantastic night. It's really absurd. Fantastic is the Ratcliffe family being here this morning. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. 
And so our greet, what I'm getting to say is that our greetings have become stupid, um, <laughs> in a word. So you're going down the street and you bump into a friend, you're on the way to an appointment and you're already a minute late and you've got another block to walk. And so you say, how are you? What's the worst thing that could happen at that point? <laughs> yes, they could tell you. <laughs> you do not want that, do you? <laughs> you want them to go fine, because that's the correct answer, isn't it? How are you? Fine. How are you? Great. How are you? Really good. That's the answer we all want. We don't, we don't actually want the organ recital, do we? <laughs> I was on the radio recently on the radio, on the BBC radio, me. A hundred million people heard me. I'm not proud of it though because I didn't say much at all, it was just this little thing. But, but it's interesting because they pre-recorded me, they didn't let me actually on air. That might have been a mistake. <laughs> so they pre-recorded, all I was doing was asking a question on a, on a science program. I had this question and they said, Fantastic question. Record it on your phone and send it to us. The reason they didn't want me on air, well, there's probably many reasons they didn't want me on air, but one of them is so that I wouldn't be able to say to the interviewer, how are you? Because I heard that recently, and it threw the interviewer completely. This guest said, how are you? And the interviewer was like, oh, because that's not what he was there for. Not only did the, the interviewer not answer, want to answer the question, but he knew that there were a hundred million people who didn't care how he was. Our greetings have become so odd and, and compare that to the, the ancient greeting when somebody passes you and, and they say, may you be full of well-being. May health and prosperity be upon you. I, I, I want to say that to people, but how do you do it? I don't think saying, when the bus driver says to me, you have a fantastic night, I don't think me saying shalom to him would probably help, do you? I, think it, I don't think it would bring me any closer to him and I don't think it would help the church in its mission into the world. But how do we do it? What do we do in order to take God's peace, which we taste and know, we're full of an inexpressible joy, Peter writes, which is the Holy Spirit within us. It's God's peace and, and it's ours to take into the world. But how do we do that? Matthew 5, let me read a little bit to you. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others. A little bit more from John 14. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I wish we could because read it if this interests you, read it at home. John 14 is a beautiful picture of exactly what it means to be full of the peace and hope of God and to take it with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. 
would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. It's heaven, isn't it? It's Jesus promising that he will not leave us, but he will return for us and we will be with him. Later on in the chapter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace, I leave with you. Shalom, shalom, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He promises us his peace. He promises us that he'll be with us. He promises us that he will return for us. He promises us that the Holy Spirit will be given. That's why he leaves. He says, I must go so that the advocate can be sent, so that the Holy Spirit can indwell you and fill your life with the peace that I'm promising. The Old Testament says exactly the same thing which is odd in a way because you don't read about the Spirit of God a whole lot in the Old Testament. But look at this from Isaiah 32. The Spirit is poured on us from on high. The desert becomes a fertile field. The fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness will live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be shalom. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? The Spirit will be poured out from on high and the effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Shalom's our future. God's peace is our, it's our destiny. And it's also our present, isn't it? I found a, a little quote from a, an American writer, John, Jonathan Martin. And he writes, because the Prince of Peace gives us his spirit, we are called to be people from the future. People who practice shalom here and now. Isn't that a beautiful image? We are people from the future. We're, we're, we're already living our eternal life, aren't we? Do you know that? Eternal life isn't something that we're waiting for. It has begun. It didn't begin for Gwen this week. It was in existence, and it is for us. I first realized this when I was uh, an apprentice carpenter, and one of the things that we had to do was make skirting boards. You know the board that goes along the edge of the wall? Look at that, there isn't one. Just when you want one, there isn't one. It's not often you want a skirting board, is it? But there isn't one. But it goes, it goes on top of the carpet, up the wall, and it has a, a bevel on the top of it. and. We used to have to make miles of this stuff. And you had to sometimes run along the top of it with a hand plane if it didn't come out of the machine quite right. So it's in a vise and it's work working across two or three workbenches, great long lengths, and I was going along it with my plane. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that that, that, that suddenly became the image that eternal life was already happening. It had begun. It wasn't something I was waiting for. This is it. We are on the eternal journey right now. It's marvelous what you can think of when you're doing boring work, isn't it? It's the joy of gardening or mowing the lawn or swimming or anything like that because suddenly these beautiful thoughts pop into your head. Eternal life is ours already now. So we are people from the future. We're from eternity and we're here to carry God's peace 
into the world, into the world that he created, to every creature that he made, to every child of God that, that exists in our community. So this calls for us to rethink the way we leave our house. When you step out next time, whether it's tonight to come back to church or tomorrow to go to work, realise that the reason for your journey isn't really the reason. The list of jobs that you've got to do, the, the things you've got to buy before Christmas are not the reason you're leaving your home. You have to do them, but they are just a vehicle to take you and your shalom to the world that you meet. Your job isn't the main reason that you have a job. It's the community that you work in that is the reason that you have a job. I believe this very strongly. There's an agenda that drives our life and we need to look beneath the busyness and see what really God is doing with us. Now, some how to do it. And I'm gonna start with a how not to do it. And on your screen, on the screen there's a picture of John Alexander Dowie. Have you ever seen that man before? I don't think he's ever been to Wodonga. Well, he hasn't because he's no longer alive. This man, oddly enough, is an Australian. He was born in the mid-1800s and was a congregational pastor, which is the church that I grew up in as a child, and I never met him, but then he was gone. At about the time that Australia is... Um, 1900 Federation, that's the word I'm looking for. At about the time of Federation, John Alexander Dowie sets up in Illinois, in the United States, a city called Zion. And the city is still there. And now it's a, it's a normal city, but it wasn't then. He had 6,000 followers initially that went out into the desert. Oh, desert? Maybe not desert, but out somewhere and they founded a city. Now, he had been um, a zealous Christian and became more and more interested in, in um, healing and, and uh, used to do some pretty odd things in that regard and discovered that there was a lot of money to be made out of healing and so he had a, a sort of a scheme where you could, if you belonged on his list, you paid him a certain amount of money and if you were on the list, he'd pray for you and if you weren't on the list, he might not. And he, he sort of became more and more corrupt as he got older. But he had this idea that Christians needed to escape from the world into their own world. And he built the city of Zion. He owned all the land. He owned all the businesses. Can you imagine that it ended well? Not. It didn't end well at all. But from, from his weird example, there are some good lessons that I reckon we can learn. One is that we don't bring shalom to the world by retreating from the world. And that, that's a Christian instinct at times, to shrink back from the world that God has sent us into. And we should look at our, our walls. We looked at the skirting board, now we're looking at the walls. And we should think to ourselves at times, we must be careful about this building and these walls because we don't belong in here. We belong out there. God has sent us to the world, not away from the world. And we, we need to make sure that we, we keep ourselves and our families involved in the community that God has sent us to. God has not called us to build an alternate community. He's called us to the community that we're already in. And we shouldn't be so proud as to think that 
we Christians are the only people who have God's peace. Now this is, I don't know how to explain this, but I'm sure this is true. Almost every, every second time I leave my house with my, you know, my, my setup, and I get on the bus and I go to town, nearly every second time I leave the house, sometime that day, somebody will walk up to me and say, can I help you? Not, not can I help you with the door, because I get that a lot too, but just like, I'm just sitting there, especially if I'm doing nothing, if I'm waiting for a bus, or, can I help you? I must appear to be extremely helpless, because this happens with such regularity. On Friday, do, were you anywhere when that big cloud burst came in Wodonga at about five o'clock Friday afternoon? It was a terrific amount of rain, wasn't it? And I, I was waiting out the rain in a bus shelter. That's an ordinary thing to do, isn't it? And not one, two different people came out in the rain from over there, got wet to ask me if they could help me. I didn't need the help. I was just waiting for the rain to stop so I could get the bus. But when, when people do that, what I experience them offering me is something of God. It is, you know, it's the same thing. Anybody who does what Jesus tells us to do is doing what he tells us to do, whether they know him or not. And the New Testament has lots of quirky little things to say about this. If people do the will of God, that's still the will of God. And when people offer me kindness, I know what it is. It's pure, it's good, it's so refreshing. And I feel at times so fortunate that I get to see that because for a lot of people, the world is a hard and cold place. But somehow my circumstance exposes me to what lies underneath and there are so many people who reach out to me with peace and, and goodness. And it's a joyful thing. And, and we join in that. We know where the peace comes from. We know to whom the hope belongs. We have within us the Holy Spirit who tells us, this is God's peace. This is where you go. This is what you say. This is what you do. Another lesson from um, the man. Is he still there? Another lesson from the man is do not wear a fancy costume. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, what would get into you that you would decide to wear that and be taken seriously? And yet he did. And by the time he finished, in, an, in a very short time out there, he didn't last long in Zion, he had 20,000 people with him in just a few years with his costume. Don't wear a costume for the world to look at. Now, what does that mean? I think this is just so important. It means that we, we must be who we truly are. Don't go to the community with falseness. Don't go with a defensive posture. That's an easy thing to do, isn't it? To be sort of afraid of everything and to criticize everything. Don't do that. Be true to yourself. Be vitally, essentially you with God's blessing to offer. So we'll say goodbye to, to John Alexander Dowie, the Australian, and think about this. I mentioned this recently, I know, but I want to draw attention to it again because I think it's so fundamental. 
in all of Paul's, I think Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. In every one of them, he begins with the greeting, grace and peace. It's not, it's not unlike the greeting, shalom, or the greeting, how are you? But the order of the words is crucial. John, writing in Revelation, uses exactly the same phrase, and both Peter's letters start with it as well. Grace and peace. Now, I don't know, well, <laughs> I don't know whether it's entirely good exegesis, technically, to say, look. <laughs> but look, look at, look at the order of these two words, because you can never in your life have peace unless there has first been grace. And, and to put those words in the other order is to sort of break God's system. This is so important. In Colossians 1, we read this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see there at the end, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace comes following Christ's death for us. His death, which is the expression of God's grace, opens the doorway for peace and reconciliation, for creation to be returned to everything that God intended it to be for us. And it's the same in minute form throughout our lives. We want peace. I chose a nice flowy sort of font because that's what we want. Peace is, peace is gorgeous, isn't it? Have you, have you ever known peace in your heart? Well, I'm sure, have you? I'm, you must have, you must have. But then you do something dumb and you lose it. You, yeah, does that happen? You know peace and you, you're at one with God and the world is beautiful. When, when you're at peace with God, do the colors even look brighter in the world? They do to me. It's like everything is vivid and glorious. And then you're tempted in some silly way. You get angry, you do whatever, and you have lost what you had. It's awful, isn't it? And we want, we want to live in God's peace. I want it so much to be at peace all the time, everywhere with God, with me. Peace is what we want, but it always goes through grace. Grace hasn't got the lovely flowy font up there, has it? It's got a, a harder one because grace is difficult. Philip Yancey wrote a, a book called, just simply called Grace. You may have read it. And within the book, he, he talks about a chapter begins the scandal of grace. And that's a song we sometimes sing too at church called The Scandal of Grace. Why a scandal? Why would you call grace a scandal? Because humans typically want justice. And grace is not justice, is it? Grace is forgiveness. Grace is almost the opposite of justice, and sometimes within us, it screams out, this is wrong, this, this is not the way it ought to be. And yet we must forgive. Jesus says you must forgive. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. And so, in a relationship that you're experiencing perhaps, 
there's a lack of peace. Any relationship, parent and child, child and parent, spouse, fiance, employer, any relationship in the world where there's, a, where there's no peace, the only path back to peace is grace. And grace means that somebody has to step up and apologize. Let it be you. Be the first one. Always be the first one to apologize. It's not logical, is it? Because we want the other person to be the first one to apologize. It's like, a, it's like a blinking competition. You know how you stare into people's eyes and the first one who blinks loses? Well, the first one who apologizes wins. But it's not, it's not them that wins, it's they that win, isn't it? Be the person that first confesses to the other person and asks forgiveness. Be that person as difficult as it is because when there is grace, there will always be peace. When you carry grace with you, there will always be peace following you as well. Sometimes you need to go and ask somebody for their forgiveness. You're asking them for their grace and peace will follow. Grace is very hard, it's very difficult, it's very demanding. It's quite costly and it's quite humiliating, but peace always follows. That's perhaps the single clearest thing that I can think of that describes the way God's shalom comes into us and into our world through grace. At the moment we see in the Middle East a terrible, terrible situation. And do you know the word Jerusalem means city of peace? So the, the end, Jerusalem, see Salem. Melchizedek, way back in the Old Testament, was king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, and he was the king of peace. So that word Salem is shalom, Jerusalem. And yet nothing could be further from the truth, could it, at present? It's a horror. And, and there is no path to real peace that doesn't involve grace, even there. but it's very lacking. Paul gives some good instruction on carrying grace. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So every day, leave your door of your house, go out of it carrying grace and peace. Offer grace to the next person you meet behind a counter who is driving you nuts. Offer peace to the next person who tells you how they were when you asked and didn't actually want to know. Make sure that you have peace to offer them and listen to how they are and embrace them, even if it makes you late for the appointment. As Jesus says, let your light shine. Let the peace of God that is within you shine. And you know, this is, this is easier perhaps than 
than David's topic, which was how to present the gospel to people, because this is the living letter that Paul talks about. This is you and I being alive. That's it, just being alive, just being full of God and being in the community with that fullness. That's how the church takes shalom into our community. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine a world, imagine a world filled with those things. How beautiful. That's the, Chris, that's the Christmas message, except that you so rarely hear that message. But that's it, and that's us. Join me as we pray. Let's come before God for a moment. Lord, thank you for calling us to be your children. Thank you for calling us to be your people, joined together, carrying the message of Christ and the presence of Christ into our world. We confess, Lord, our need for you this morning, our need to be forgiven, our need to be filled with your love and with your Holy Spirit. Bless us, Lord, with peace. Bless us with shalom. Fill us with your spirit and send us, Lord, from this place today and from our homes every day into the world that you created with your peace. Second Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Amen.